When I was in college, I can remember uh, heading up into Oklahoma to a youth event I was going to help out with, and um, that was in the days when everyone didn't have a GPS in their pocket. And so I did what you did back then. I pulled out a map and unfolded it. It's sort of strange to think about now. And I started looking at this map, trying to figure out exactly how I was going to get there. And so the day came, got everything loaded and packed to go, and was driving. And after a while, things just didn't look right. They weren't what I expected. And so I stopped, and I don't remember exactly how it all went, but I had gone about an hour and a half in the wrong direction. So suddenly, I had just added three hours or so to my trip, and I was so frustrated. Is anything like that ever happened to you? Well, sometimes churches can find themselves doing the same kind of thing. And this is what I mean. We're, we're, we've got our feet on the pedal. We're moving. We're moving. We're moving. We got this going on and that going on, and this is happening and that's happening. But no one's asking, hey, where are we headed? No one's asking, is this a good movement or is it necessary movement? Is it important movement? Is it getting us where God wants us to go? And so this morning, I want to be a time like that where we ask, are we moving ahead for the advance of the gospel? We'll be in Philippians chapter 1. The church at Philippi was a church that Paul had founded, and it was clear he had a lot of affection for this church. And and so in chapter uh, 1, we're going to see that he wrote to them about the advance of the gospel, about about staying on task, uh, about putting the foot to the pedal, but making sure that you're heading in the right direction when you do. Before we get there, though, I want us to think for a minute about the need that's around us. In a 20-hour, or pardon me, 20-mile radius around First Baptist Church, there are just over 27,000 people. Um, Within that same 20-mile radius, there are approximately 25 churches that I believe have some degree of commitment to, to preaching the gospel. So again, you could, the numbers might be slightly different, but, but we're just kind of working in big picture numbers here. So let's say 25 churches, and let's say of those 25 churches, let's say that 200 people are involved in every, at every one of those churches. Now, there's going to be a few of those churches that are larger than that, but the majority by far will be smaller than 200 people. So let's just say 25 at 200, you're talking about 5,000 people, and this is optimistic, I think. I really think this is optimistic. Let's say that 5,000 people within that 20-mile radius are a part of a church. But that leaves over 20,000 or over 80% who are unchurched. Now, think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. That means that if you go to church and you're connected to a church, the four people who live around you likely do not. Boy, there's a lot of work to do, isn't there? There's a lot of work to do. You see, here in Uvalde, we live amongst the people who are largely unreached for the gospel. Maybe at some point in time they've been churched, but but there's no clear connection to the gospel now. No clear connection to the Lord Jesus now. When we think worldwide, the numbers become even more staggering. There are 6,800 people groups in the world who are classified as unreached. And that amounts to 4.2 billion people. Think about that for a moment. Now, within that group, there are around 3,700 people groups, or or 4 billion of those, that we are trying to plant churches in, and there is effort to to reach them. But there's 3,100 groups in which there's absolutely no church planting efforts happening because no one has sent people there yet. 
So when we begin to look at the task that we've been given, we recognize whether we're talking at a local scale or whether we're speaking globally, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of work to be done. In our own family of churches, the SBC, the average shows us that it takes 52 members of an SBC church to see one person get baptized. Does that sound strange to you? That means for every 52 members of a Southern Baptist church, for for them to see someone reach with the gospel, that is, turn from their sin, believe in Jesus, and become committed to following him, getting baptized, becoming a part of the church, for every one person that that happens, takes 52 Southern Baptists. What that means now... Don't misunderstand me. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I I believe that that God is sovereign. But what that means is there's a whole lot of us who aren't putting a lot of focus on sharing the gospel with people. There are a whole lot of us who aren't putting a lot of focus on, on praying intently and passionately for the gospel to be spread both in our own neighborhoods and around the world. It tells me, including myself, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. A lot of work. You know, these numbers are staggering, but they're also challenging. They, they, should, they, should, they should put something out there before us that makes us say, we're going to see that changed. We're going to see that changed. We're going to be a part of seeing that change. We're going to be a part of making the gospel known here and ultimately around the world. Now, again, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to be serious about gospel advance. Let's look together at Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, when Paul begins with the word only, uh, one commentator said it like this. It's as if Paul is saying, just this one thing. Just this one thing. So, so what, what is Paul saying to the church of Philippi? He's saying, listen, make sure you get this right. You may get some other things wrong, but make sure you get this. This is critical. One of the problems that we have in churches today, particularly churches like our own that have been established for a long time, is that ministries get started and they just sort of grow. And, and if we're not careful, we're just maintaining something. We're not asking, are we advancing the gospel? And I think this is one of the reasons that we see so few people coming to know Jesus within the the SBC family of churches. We're busy doing all kinds of things, but are we busy with just this one thing? Are we busy with the thing that matters most? We can do other things, but these other things, well, we must be careful that they don't keep us from doing this one thing, this thing that matters most of all. So the scripture continues, let your manner of life be worthy. The the verb here in the Greek for let your manner of life is is a verb that's based on the root Greek word polis, which I usually don't talk about stuff like this, but the word means city. This is an interesting verb because what it basically means is be faithful to your citizenship. You're a citizen, then live out your civic responsibilities. That's what this word uh, meant and would have meant when, when... uh, folks in the Greek heard it. Now, being a part of Philippi was, was sort of a prestigious city. It was a part of the Roman Empire, and those who were citizens of Philippi had the rights of Roman citizens, so there was some, some social capital there. But not only that, this was, this was a respected city. You know, the folks in San Antonio might say, oh, you're from Uvalde. Or if you're 
where I used to live, Dallas. Oh, you live in Bowie? Okay. And, and so there's this sense in which, you know, we, we're kind of this elite, elite mindset. Well, the, the, the church at Philippi, they were proud probably of the city that they came from. And so Paul's basically saying, hey, listen, you understand the responsibilities and the rights and the privileges of citizenship? Well, I want you to understand your responsibility as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. I want you to live out faithfully your responsibilities as citizens of heaven. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel, a manner that adorns the gospel, that makes the gospel beautiful, that makes people say, hey, what is it about him? What is it about her that's, that's different? Live, live that kind of life. That, that's what Paul is saying here quite clearly. And he says, look, I'm, I'm hoping to come to you, but whether I get to come to you or whether I don't get to come to you, I want to know that you get this one thing. You may not get all these other things. They, they may not be in place, but get this one thing. Get this. Friends, brothers and sisters, Paul says, get this. Live a life that makes the gospel beautiful, that helps people see Jesus and love him more. So clearly, our church family is called to gospel devotion. Our church family is called to gospel devotion. Now, some of you may kind of say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Why do you say our church family is called to gospel devotion? Why don't you just say you are called to gospel devotion? Well, this is the reason. Because if you look into the Greek, English is a difficult language when it comes to uh, second-person plural pronouns, right? You. It's plural or singular. So let's make this not just proper English, but let's make it Texan. And this is what it would say if we're going from Greek to Texan. And it's a far better uh, way to hear it and understand it because it's what the Greek says. Only let y'all's manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see y'all or am absent, I may hear of y'all that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side. This wasn't written to individual Christians. It was written to the church at Philippi as a whole. And this is really important because in the American culture, the Western culture, we sort of have this lone ranger mentality. Hey, it's me and Jesus. And I got things right with Jesus. Everybody else stay out of my business. But that idea is absolutely foreign to the New Testament. And if you feel that way, I want you to understand the reason you feel it's me and Jesus and nobody else is because you've been influenced more by the culture than you have by the scriptures. Paul is addressing the church at Philippi. Y'all, hear this. The church family, all of you have been called to gospel devotion, to live a life uh, worthy of the gospel. What does this look like? Well, there are two ways that that we see... uh, that we live this out. First, hold your ground in the Spirit. Hold your ground in the Spirit. What does he say here? Standing firm in one Spirit. There's a sense in which Paul recognized that the church at Philippi wasn't going to be faithful to live out this unless they stood firm. What does that mean? Well, there were all sorts of attacks. You had attacks arising from within the church where there was false teachings going on. And so you had that possibility. You had the, the possibility of disunity within the church where, where this, this, this group kind of got divided against that group. And we saw that happening in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 1. We see Paul addressing those sorts of things. So the same sorts of things that happens in church, happened in churches today, they happened then too. But not only just difficulties within the church, what else can keep us from standing firm? Our own sinfulness. As a pastor, my own sinfulness can keep us as a church from being what God has called us to be. 
And yours can too. So it's something that we do as a family, but it has individual implications clearly. We, we want to stand firm as one person in the gospel. What else can, can cause us to, to walk away and not be faithful? Well, of course, of course, what's happening in culture. At this time, uh, the church would soon face a lot of persecution. And so the culture tries to push us into its mold. And Paul says, wait, stand firm. But notice what he said, stand firm in the spirit. What does this mean? It means that we do not have to stand firm in our own strength. Brothers and sisters, we stand firm because the Spirit enables us to do so. Think about concrete. Concrete has strength. One of the primary reasons is because it has rebar in it. Take the metal out and concrete loses its strength. And it's like that here. How do we have the strength to stand firm in the midst of all the challenges, our own sinfulness, the culture pushing against us? Trouble within the church, all of those things when you get people together, all the kinds of troubles you have. How do we have the ability? Because the Spirit gives us the ability as we seek Him. Like rebar and concrete, giving us the ability to stand, to remain firm, to remain committed. So Paul says, as a church, you've got to stand firm in the Spirit. So what does this mean for us, First Baptist Church of Valley, today? Well, it means that we must strive to be a people of integrity and holiness. We need to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Now, remember how Paul talked about how they had responsibility as citizens of heaven. Please hear me. If you are a believer, you have responsibility as a believer. If you're a member of First Baptist Church Uvalde, you have responsibility as a member of First Baptist Church Uvalde because if you claim to know Jesus, but then you go outside of the doors of this church and come Monday morning, it's all about making money and you'll do whatever it takes to make money. Whatever kind of crooked deal needs to happen, buddy, if I can make the money, I'll do it. Listen, if you claim to be a believer, you cannot walk that way. Or you claim to be a believer, you come here and you act sweet and nice, but then you gossip about everybody in the whole world. You're happy to tell them, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what she did. Have you heard? Do you understand you're not living faithfully as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Now, all of us do this to one degree or another. None of us live out our faith perfectly. But in the power of the Spirit, we're called to, to live lives that are marked by holiness, that are marked by integrity. Now, I knew an old deacon in a church that I served in years ago who used to say, well, when they tell me the reason I don't go to church is because it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites, I always tell them, come join us. We could always use one more. <laughs> and... You know, he was right about that in some ways because there's not one of us that perfectly live out what we claim to believe. But that is absolutely no excuse for us not to strive to be the people that God has called us to be. And when we do drop the ball, we need to go and we need to try to make it right. Every one of us is going to drop the ball. We need to make it right. But we need to strive by God's grace to be faithful and to show people the love of Jesus, the truth of the gospel. The the gospel really does transform and change. Have you ever heard a coach say to his players, you put on this jersey and you better live like it. You put on this jersey and you better play like it. You better get out there on that field and you better play like you're wearing this jersey. What's he saying to them? You got responsibility because you're a part of this. 
And what's the Apostle Paul saying to the Philippians today? And to, or to us today, to the Philippians and to us, he's saying, if you don the jersey, then live it. Live it. And when we don't live it, we strive to ask forgiveness and strive to make things right. We wear the jersey. We need to represent Christ well. And this is one of the reasons membership in a church is really important. Because when you put on the jersey of membership at First Baptist Church Uvalde, now suddenly there's a greater accountability. The scriptures make it clear as members of First Baptist or members of any local church, you have accountability and responsibility to that church family so, so that we can call each other out in love, of course. But, but as a pastor, if you hear that, that I've been a jerk to someone, you've got a right to come to me and, and say to me, hey, pastor, what, what is this? What's, what's going on here? But why? Because I'm wearing the jersey. We have that responsibility for each other. And that's one of the importance, again, of, of being a part of a church family. So how else do we live this out? We must be firmly committed to the gospel. Firmly committed to the gospel. What does the scripture tell us? That there's one way into a relationship with God. It's through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Now listen, that message really makes people in our culture angry. You guys are so exclusivist. You think you're the only right ones. Brothers and sisters, Jesus himself is the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our message can be no more broad than Jesus' message was. We must be faithful to the message of Scripture. Now, we understand in real life, all roads don't lead to the same place. We we understand that. We recognize that. You can go west on 90 and you're not going to end up in Austin, right? All roads don't lead. You can go south on 83 and you're not going to land in San Antonio, and so spiritually, why can't we understand the fact that all roads really don't lead to heaven? There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way into right relationship with God. It's, it's through Jesus. We've got to be faithful to this gospel. This is the gospel that was preached. We've got to be faithful to that. Now, when a church is committed to that gospel and unified around that gospel, it brings a certain cohesion. It brings a certain strength to a church. And here's why. Because when we're committed to that gospel and seeing people come to know Jesus and lives transformed by Jesus, then suddenly the color of the carpet, it ain't that important. It's just not. Why? Because I want to see people come and know Jesus. I don't care what color the carpet is. Whether I get the kind of, I like this song and I didn't like that song. Oh, that stuff's not important. When the gospel's the main thing, the little things, well, they're little And when the little things are huge, what it really says is it says something about our hearts. It says that this one thing that really matters, it's not the one thing that matters most to me. And so it's time there for a a checkup. Brothers and sisters, all of us need them sometimes. When the gospel is the main thing, then the other things, well, they're secondary and everybody knows it because we're committed to the main thing. Committed to the thing that matters most Now, it's as if Paul understood that life and the culture and the challenges of life were going to cause believers in the church, if they weren't careful, to just sort of be pushed away from faithfulness. Imagine a mudslide, a mudslide that's moving slowly, but everything in its path, it begins to take out. It's as if Paul's saying, you're going to face that. Be ready for it. You've got to stand firm. You've got to stand firm in the power of the Spirit. So, we must stand firm with gospel devotion. 
as a church. But responsibility for this ultimately happens in each of our individual lives. We have this responsibility corporately, but it has implications for each of our lives. And what I mean by that is, for, for us as a church family to be successful, not just in surviving or like maintaining, but for us to be successful in advancing and seeing, and seeing the 20,000 people that are surrounding us reached. And it's going to require everybody to jump in. It's going to require buy-in. Not the idea of, well, I go to that church. What do they got going on now? What are they doing? Well, what's the pastor and his crew going to do? None of that. No, the question is, if we're serious about gospel advance, it becomes, hey, what are we going to do to make this thing happen? What are we going to do? How, how can I jump in and get involved? And I want to I see the gospel advance. I want to see the thousands of people here in New Valley reach for the gospel. It's not they anymore. If we're serious about gospel advance, it becomes we. It becomes mine. It becomes my calling, not their calling. It becomes ultimately our calling. And oh, how we need that kind of buy-in to see advance. You know, I, uh, as, we, as we take this time for what I call Vision Sunday, where we think about the vision for the year ahead and where we want to go in the year ahead, I, I want us to think for a moment about our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement is for the glory of God. We seek to lead others to love God, to grow in Christ, and to tell the world about the love of Jesus. Now, I've given you a flyer in your bulletin that, that will help you think through these in your own personal life. And, and so let's think about how you can take steps personally to love God more because that's what we want to help uh, everybody do here. That, uh, for me, to, to each one of you, we want to help you love God more. One of the things that you can do is begin to read the Word every single day and say to God when you read it, God, help me to see and understand what I'm reading and change me. Let your word change me. I've given you some helps in that flyer there, some links that, that you can use to help you find a good plan for, for studying the word. Also, there's some Bible reading plans in the foyer that you can pick up. We want to encourage you to spend good, solid time in prayer every day. And I've given you a list of some things that you might pray about, some things that are important. But I want to draw your attention to three blanks there regarding three people that you want to share the gospel with. I'm, I'm asking you, pleading with you, as members of First Baptist Church Uvalde in this upcoming year, will you strive to share the gospel with three people? Remember that 52 to 1? One of the reasons that it takes 52 church members to see one person saved in an SBC church is because members aren't sharing the gospel with people. So let's share the gospel with people. Who are the three people that God has placed in your life? People you work with? Um, maybe it's doctors or health uh, folks that you see on a regular basis because of a medical condition you have. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's the neighbor across the street, the one who lives behind. I want you and I, I ask you to write down three people that you'll strive to pray for daily and over the course of 2017, you'll seek to share the gospel. Let's do it, church. Let's do it. I think we're going to see people saved and lives changed. What an incredible opportunity God has placed before us. And then I want to encourage you to spend time in family worship, husbands and wives doing a, a Bible study weekly together, praying together regularly, uh, mo uh, moms and dads reading their kiddos and, and, and reading the word, not in a long, drawn-out, torturous process, but, but taking a few minutes daily or as often as you can each week 
to just read the word and pray together. Maybe, maybe sing a song together. There are helps, again, for all of these things uh, uh, on our website. You can see links to them. I want to encourage you to think about corporate worship. How can we be faithful to, to see gospel advance when we ra- rarely gather together? Hey, let's jump in. Let's, let's be here. Everybody's going to miss some, and sometimes people's work prevents them from being here. I understand all of that. But, but the normal rhythm of our lives ought to be that we gather with brothers and sisters, that we're committed to that. How can we be strong in reaching the world when we're rarely together, when, when we're rarely around the word together and in worship together? So, so whatever area that, that you look at this and go, hey, I could use a little work here. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to help us. Every one of us needs work in this area or that area. And some of you maybe need to find a place to serve, to begin serving. There's opportunity for that as well. Uh, let's think through grow in Christ. The way we encourage you to grow in Christ is to get with other believers, to be in a Sunday morning Bible study, to be in a midweek Bible study where other believers can, can pray for you and know you and you can talk about the word together. You can help each other. That, that's critical in growing deep in the Lord. Something else that I hope develops in our church is, is what we might call life transformation groups. And basically this is where we encourage uh, a two or three Believers of the same gender to gather together and pray and just share burdens and struggles and things like that and to be in A lot of the times, one of the reasons the church is so impotent is because we just sort of float on the surface. People have needs. They don't want to admit them because they're struggling. They don't want to admit it because then people will look down on them. We need, men need another brother beside them who know what's going on in our lives, who know, hey, listen, this is the area where I'm struggling this is the area where, where I'm dropping the ball. Will you pray for me? Will you, will you hold my feet to the fire? Ladies, you need that as well. I think this is one of the reasons we're weak as a church. The New Testament model of church is this kind of one-anotherness that, that's so often missing. So we want to work on that, improve in that area. So we could say in the strength of the Spirit, First Baptist Church can stand firm. Though many members, we can stand as one. We can stand as one for the advance of the gospel. Second, we want to struggle together, struggle together for the advance of the gospel. What does Paul say here? Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he's picturing the church at Philippi having one mind. In other words, their hearts are set on this one thing, advancing the gospel. And then what does he use? He he uses this word, striving side by side. Now, think of a lazy afternoon where you're taking a nap. And then imagine uh, the hot August sun and two-a-days. What does striving look more like? That lazy afternoon nap or two-a-days in the hot August sun? We know what it looks like. It's more like two-a-days in the hot August sun. Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, get out there and give it your all. Don't do it by yourself. You strive side by side, and that way when you fall, your brother can help you get up. And when I fall, you can help me get up. That's what Paul's saying here. You side by side, you strive, you fight, you contend for the gospel, for the advance of the gospel. So, we must keep the main thing, the main thing. And in our congregation, other things must be secondary. What's the main thing? That people might come to know Jesus, that lives might be changed. That's what we want to see happen. That's what God is calling us to. The need for telling others about Jesus is tremendous. 
When you look at statistics, you can see that by a higher than nationwide average, folks in our area struggle with alcohol and drug abuse. Folks in our area have family issues with with children's and and teenagers. There's a bit higher abuse rate in our area than, than nationwide. Something else that's interesting, when you look at the statistics from our area, there's a much greater openness to a church. Nationwide, the openness to to want to be a part of a church is 15%. But in our area, surveys show that there's about 25% of the people who are open to to being a part of a church that that are not going. So what does this tell us? That we're surrounded by people who have real needs. And some of these are really interested in a church. You got people who are struggling What The gospel has something to say about that. In Christ, we can find freedom. In the body of Christ, we can find support. You got people struggling with family issues and abusive relationships. Well, in the gospel, we find answers that speak to family life. Answers that can change people's lives. We have answers that people need right here. They can bring real help to people. But we got to be willing to tell them about Jesus. Not in our own strength, but in the power of of Christ. So let's do this. Let's jump in. Let's start praying. Let's start telling people about him. I'm praying for this year that we'll see 20 people get saved and baptized over the course of 2017. Now, listen, numbers, I only set a number because it helps us have something to think about and pray about. God is sovereign. We could be faithful and no one could be saved. But more than likely, where churches are faithful, people get saved. That happens most of the time. People's lives get changed. When we contend for the gospel and stand together for the gospel, so often this happens. So I'm praying that over the course of this year, we see 20 people saved, baptized, becoming a part of this church, and becoming disciples. And oh, how it'd be awesome and incredible if God said, you know what? It's going to be even more. Because even 20 wouldn't be but the drop in a bucket compared to the 20,000 that are surrounding us who are unchurched. Now, later in the year, we may have an opportunity to take a mission trip to New Orleans and work with one of the church planners that, that, that we're helping uh, there. And, and some of you may want to take that as an opportunity to, to think about, hey, this is another way I could tell people about Jesus. In April, we'll be having an evangelism training, an opportunity to gather together on a Saturday, do some evangelism training, and maybe put some of what we learned into practice that, that afternoon. So maybe, maybe you want to be a part of that or make plans for that. Gospel advance is the responsibility of the church but it occurs as each one of us is faithful one of us is devoted to people about jesus now some of you say look pastor i gotta work i gotta work long hours my job doesn't give me the time to be in this and be a part of that and i'm lucky to be here on a sunday morning you're asking too much brother i want you perhaps it's at your job that god is wanting you to carry this out Maybe those long hours, maybe there's somebody there that, that needs to know Jesus. I'm pretty sure there is. And so it's not that you've got to try to add something. It's that each one of us needs to be intentional in the realm that God has placed us to, to tell others to live a life of integrity. The stakes are too high to dilly-dally around. The stakes, they're just too high. When I was a boy... A game that I enjoyed playing was called Operation. You know this one, don't you? You would take those little tweezers and you'd try to get that bone without touching the sides. And if you touch the sides, 
the game was so rude, you'd get this, and everyone in the room blown it. Well, I want you to know, cost for missing this central call of God. What's, what's heaven or hell? It's a person's soul. That's what's in the balance. Do, do you, for a moment, let's, let's get a hold of that for a moment. I, I mess up in the game of operation and I get a loud buzz and maybe I lose the game. But if we get this one wrong, souls are at stake. It so I want you to imagine a surgeon, a neurosurgeon, who has a very meticulous surgery to perform, removing a tumor from, from the brain. Neurosurgeon's job is critical. The slightest mistake could mean life or death, could mean paralysis or all sorts of, of other issues. When that neurosurgeon goes in, he goes in with a single mindset. He's got a job to do. She's got a job to do. And she's not going to go at it alone or he's not going to go at it alone. There's going to be a whole team of people there. There's going to be an anesthesiologist. There's going to be a team of nurses, perhaps some other doctors who can bring expertise to bear depending on the circumstances or the situation. It's going to be a very serious procedure. It's going to take a team of people. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to a very serious task. And yes, life and death, eternal life and death are at stake. And it's going to take a team of people. And it's going to take serious commitment. Are you in? Are you in? I'm in. I'm in. I want to tell you, I'm going to strive as your pastor to set an example in this area, to share the gospel with people. I'm in. I want to be this. I want to answer God's call. And I'm pleading with you to jump in too. I want to see many people come to know Jesus. May we be faithful to the gospel. Now I have one word to say. And this is to those of you who are not believers. Some of you who are here today have never become Christians. You've gone to church some perhaps. You maybe have gone through some sort of religious ritual when you were younger. But you're not a believer. The good news for you is that God has a plan. And his plan is that people turn from sin and believe in Jesus and follow him. And so today, you could turn from your sin and you could believe in Jesus. And forever and ever and ever, you could know for certainty that you're going to go to heaven. Though the world may be crazy, you could know that you belong to God. What an incredible opportunity. If you're here today, and you've never trusted Jesus. Today's the day. Here we are at the beginning of a new year. You could have a brand new life in Christ. Join me in prayer.